Isn't the Lord good? Oh, well, it is so wonderful to have Pastor Monty to come on up. Actually, I'll have you come on up. So this is Pastor Monty coming from Quinnell. So some of you may know Matthew Nielsen. Uh, Matthew Nielsen is pastoring with Pastor Monty. Let's pray for him. Jesus, thank you so much for Pastor Monty and what you've placed on his heart. Lord, I pray that as he shares your story through his life, would be would our eyes be turned to you and would we be encouraged uh, by you? And Lord, would you help us to know what we need to do with it afterwards? Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Kim. Um, first of all, music team, thank you. That ministered to my soul this morning. I, I needed that. Didn't even know it when I walked in here, but I needed that. Thank you so much. Well, it is an honor, a privilege, and it's also um, with great humility I come here today because I recognize I am standing in a room full of leaders, uh, leaders that are going to transform our province, that are going to transform our country, are going to transform our world. And uh, maybe some of you guys don't even realize how God's going to use you yet. You, you might be sitting here thinking, uh, Monty, I'm, I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm just here because I'm following God. Well, <laughs> that's how my past started too. <laughs> and uh, I'm so humbled to come here and share my story with you guys today. And um, so thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Kim, for inviting me. And I struggled a little bit with where to start my story, but I guess I'll introduce where I'm at right now. I'm in Cornell. I've uh, been there now. I'm in my 18th year. I've never pastored in another church. I've only ever been there, um, which is, I know makes me a little bit of a unicorn, but what really makes me a unicorn as well is I've also never been married. Um, God has just taken me on a very unique path, which I am actually so thankful for. It's one that others don't always understand, but God has been able to use the path he's called me on in so many different ways. And so my story starts, well, if I was going to go, I could actually trace my story right back to birth, but that's a really long story. So we won't go there. Okay, I'll put you guys to sleep. But uh, my story really begins to start with God in my grade 12 year. Um, and through high school, my mom had struggled with some mental illness, and I had decided at that time that I needed to be strong for my family, that I needed to be independent. And of course, in your teenage years, when you're going through a hard time like that, you just end up angry and bitter because you don't reach out to anyone. And so I was this angry and bitter guy in grade 12. Um, I remember actually sitting and talking with one of my friends in English class. We had to write a term paper in order to prep us for college. Um, I see Mark Hawks there. He knows that didn't work for me. He, he, he marked my papers. But anyways, um, we contemplated actually writing a paper on why God didn't exist. That, that's where I was in my life. But I had a faithful friend um, who I knew kind of attended church. And one day I called him up on a Sunday and I said, let's go hunting because that's what we did. We loved hunting. And his words to me, no, I got to go to church. And my words to him were, are you an idiot? We can go hunting or you can go to church. But just that, those words that he said, I'm going to church, spoke to my soul in that moment in a way I never realized at first. Because I knew at that moment, he valued something more than what I thought was the most important thing in both of our lives. And that was to go to this place called church. And so then he started inviting me to a youth group and I started attending and um, mainly because there were some cute girls I liked there. And so I thought, you know, it's worth going, you know, quickly found out they weren't going to have much to do with me because I wasn't a believer. But, you know, I, I was determined. I was stubborn. Still am. Thought, you know, I can break through this. And so as I was attending there, I remember Rich Phillips was a youth pastor back then. And every Tuesday he would do a salvation call. 
And I remember sitting near the front in the group thinking, just ask me, because I'm the only non-Christian here. Like, why are you doing this generic call, right? And anyways, I remember thinking that, but he'd do it every time, and he'd look right at me. Does anyone here want to give their life to Jesus? And I'm sitting there like, no, I'm here for other reasons. We've talked. But then there was this faithful night. I thought I was going to go to youth group for something fun. And instead, they were doing random acts of special kindness. And we went to this person's house, and we were cleaning up this person's yard. And my assessment of this person and their life situation, I later learned just how wrong I was, is that their yard wouldn't need cleaned if they weren't just lazy bums. That was my thought. I was upset. I wanted to go play games, play floor hockey, have fun, full contact indoor soccer, these crazy things you used to do in youth groups in the 90 that you didn't get sued for that you do now, right? And um, I wanted to do those things. And so I'm standing on a hill. When I was a kid, I had this condition that my mother used to refer to me having regularly. It was called PMS, poor Monty syndrome. That's what she'd say, Monty, you're PMSing. And I'm, I'm doing that on the hill. I'm having poor Monty syndrome. I'm upset. And I'm looking down on this group and I'm thinking to myself, all these stupid Christians, I know you all, and I know all your flaws, and I know all your mistakes. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart in this powerful way. And I realized that if I took everyone that was down there and I put them together, I got the image of Christ. And it broke me in that second. And I knew in that moment that I had an eternal decision to make because I could no longer deny that Jesus was real. God was real. And now I had to do something with him. Beforehand, I didn't know either way. So I could just ignore, go on with my life, do whatever I wanted. But now I had to make a decision. And so that Tuesday at youth group, when Pastor Rich looked at me and said, does anyone want to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I felt my hand going up in the air while I was thinking simultaneously, what are you doing? And I turned my life over to Jesus. And I tell you, everything began to change. Rich, you know, I'm 19 years old by this time. He's a youth pastor. I'm in a small church in Williams Lake where Austin's from. And, you know, Austin's been there. I've actually pointed to the seat where I was saved before when I spoke there. But um, Rich had to do something with me now. There was no young adults group or anything. He needed to disciple me. So he did a very unwise thing and took this brand new Christian who was angry, who was against God up until a week ago and made him a youth leader. Honestly, I was in charge of stacking chairs, right? It was just to keep me close so that he could disciple me, right? I wasn't allowed to teach or anything like that. And then then they did a really smart thing, and they plugged me into the Sunday school program to be an assistant there. And, and I still remember this one Sunday when we were learning the story of David and Goliath, and I'm grabbing a 60-year-old going, isn't this story awesome? And the six-year-old's like, you've never heard it before? Like, terrified, like, whoa, right? But I got involved right away. And one of these things that I went on as a youth leader was a conference called History Maker back then. I think it's called Youth Gathering now. It keeps changing names. It used to be Youth Convention, then it was History Maker, and I'm old now, and I'm losing track of them all. But anyways, I remember there, and Darcy McAllister was there, and um, it was called Dream. And the challenge there was to allow God to give you dreams. And we were riding back on the bus, and Rich sat down next to me, and he said, you know, Monty, you've been serving God now for about a year. You're learning, you're growing. What's the dream that God has put on your heart? 
And I sat there dumbfounded because for the first time I realized that there was actually a chance that God would call me individually to something. And I began to pray and I just asked God, I said, God, God, what is it you wanted me to do? And almost immediately I heard this answer. Your dream is to help others accomplish their God-given dream. And so I shared that with Rich and he got this like really knowing smile that kind of creeped me out. It's because God was speaking to him about my future in that moment in a way that I hadn't realized was coming to be. And slowly God took that dream and he turned it into a call to ministry. So you fast forward, I'm 24 years of age now and um, I decide to come to Summit. And so I come here and I want to say that you guys are so privileged to have this school. So privileged to have this school and, and to have the staff and the faculty that love you guys and care for you guys and pour into you like they do. My life was so radically changed while I was here. And I know that yours will be as well. But in my second year of school here is where God really got a hold of me. I'm in my second year and um, God starts telling me I need to give up my call. And I'm like, what? You know, this number might not seem much to you guys. I don't know what current tuition is, but for me, it was a lot back then. I'm like, God, I'm $20,000 into this education. What do you mean? Give up my call. And so I was the most miserable student on this campus for a semester and a half because I was mad at God and I took that out on others. I'm sure Mark probably heard from some of my friends about what a jerk I was because I was frustrated. I was angry because God was telling me to give up something and I had spent money on this and I was wrestling with God saying, well, why? Why would you do this to me? Why would you make me spend this money? Bring me here to this place I enjoy just to have me leave. I, I helped out with security. And at that time we were at the bottom of the hill. I remember one night the RS called the security line and said, hey, Monty, can you do a patrol of campus? There, there's someone reported hearing screaming on the hill. That was me at the bottom of the hill screaming at God. And my answer was, I'll deal with them. I got in my car and continued to scream because I was outside at that point. I can't sing, but I can be heard, okay? You just need to know that. Gavin can testify to this. So finally, one day I woke up and said, that's it. You win, God. You win. I've been fighting you now. You win. I'll finish the semester. I won't come back. And I came into this very room, and I knelt there, and I gave up my call. And I was ugly snot crying. I was upset. I was bothered. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, now that you've given up, it was never yours to actually have. Continue your schooling and go into the ministry. You see, I had made my call my own. I was starting to make decisions about how I was going to live out my calling from God. I was going to live out my ministry while I was here. I was going to go youth pastor at a certain church. And I was going to youth pastor until a certain time. You know, I was in the youth leadership program. Then I was going to get a master's degree and I was going to teach youth ministry. And and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And God was like, no, that's not how it works in my kingdom. That's not how it works with me. And, And so he had to break me anew. And that's what he did in that second year. And I have made so many apologies. I have a good friend, Dan Donkers. Every time we talk, I apologize because I was such a bum to that poor kid. Right? He wouldn't clean our room. One time I threw all his stuff out the window because I was so upset because he wouldn't clean it. I was sick of getting fines. Right? He was just wearing my angst. 
And so from there, I began to say, okay, God, you're in charge. It's your call. It's your life. I'll go where you say you want me to go. And that's how I ended up in Cornell. Graduation came along, and as many of you forced your students are probably feeling, you're wondering what's next. And churches began to reach out. Lead pastors began to reach out. Some within the POEC, some without, outside of it. They began to say, hey, come interview. Come check it out. Come see if you want to come here. And I'll tell you right now, there were some sweet, sweet positions. There, were, there, there was some that were going to pay me money that was more than my dad made just to be a youth pastor. And they had this great building and this great facility. It was in a great community. It was somewhere where I, I would like to live. And then I would go and I would interview and then I would come home and God wouldn't let me sleep until I turned them down. And sometimes we're talking a week of no sleep because at night I would wrestle with God because I'm a slow learner. You think I would have realized by now just listen, but I told you before I'm stubborn, I'm slow. I would wrestle with him until finally about two in the morning, I'd say, okay, God, I'm going to phone him first thing in the morning and turn it down. Then I would wake up and I go, ah, no, I was just being stupid. And it would take a week before I finally pick up the phone and I say, I can't come. And they're like, well, why? Well, we'll pay you more. We'll do this. We'll do that. I can't. God is saying no. And then after a period of time of this, and I, again, I'm getting frustrated and I'm getting upset. I'm like, God, you've called me to the ministry. And, you know, please don't take this wrong. I love Williams Lake. But I'm like, I'm still in Williams Lake. I'm a shipper receiver. I'm working for my dad's company. This is not how I envisioned my future, God, in any way. And then all of a sudden, our associate pastor comes up to me, and he, we used to, I used to go to the pastor's meetings really early, 6 a.m., uh, and connect with them because I was trying to help run their um, young adults ministry while I was there. And he says, Monty, you can't say anything, but I'm taking a position in Cornell. Now, Cornell is just up the road. And if you're from Williams Lake, you've got to realize something. Um, if you're born and raised there, there's nothing good in Cornell. It stinks like a pulp mill, and it's just a wannabe Williams Lake. Okay, that's what Cornell is. And he goes, I'm going to Cornell, and um, I'm going to be pastoring the church there. Now, that church had a reputation. Okay, um, I, I often joke that my church has planted more churches in Cornell than any other denomination ever, and it's because of the number of splits it's gone through. Right? It's really funny when I sit down with a new pastor at the ministry, I'm like, yeah, we planted your church, right? It was really unhealthy. And Cliff says, yeah, there's 35 seniors in this church. The church is about to die. I'm going, and I want you to come be our youth pastor. There's no youth group. There's his kids. And so the first thought that went through my head, I don't want to babysit those kids. I love them, by the way. They were great, but... And in that instant, God said, go. I'm like, okay. And so I asked Cliff, I said, well, what is there for pay? And I, oh, nothing. You're going to have to find a place to live. You're going to have to find a job. And because we're taking this church from 35 people and you're planting a youth group, I'm going to be expecting you to work full time at the church as well as your other job. And I'm thinking, well, this is like the worst position I've ever been offered. And God says, go. I had learned a little bit by then, so I agreed to go. A week later, I get offered a job selling auto parts. I know nothing about vehicles at this time, and I still don't really know nothing. My first day at work, I'm at the front counter, and someone's looking for a, a tire rod, like a tire rod, and I thought they said tire rod, and I'm trying to look it up, and I can't find the part, and the other employees are looking at the manager going, why did you hire him? 
right? And Kevin at the back, the manager, I don't know. He said he was a quick learner, right? Okay, maybe I fibbed a little. But anyways, within three months, I'm the number one counterman there. I still don't know anything about car parts. It's God. It turns out they had just got this new computer system where you could type in information and it gives you the right answer. And, and I was the only one there young enough to know how to use it. And so I was the one using it. And all the older guys are still going through the books and they're trying to figure out how I know this stuff before they do when they know I know nothing. And it, it was just the advantage of technology. Anyways, I've been in that church now. Like I said, I'm in my 18th year. I've gone from serving for years as the volunteer youth pastor the church realized that I was slowly burning out. They wanted to bring me on staff, and so they, they sacrificed heavily. They used to do what they called Monty Sundays, the most awkward day of the month, and that's when people would give extra in the offering to try to help support my wages. So awkward, so humbling to have that, but also so loving to see these seniors. I had to see a youth group form from nothing, and again, it was all God. I remember one time, one of the... Um, Pastor Cliff's kids come into my office. They were walking home from school. They live near the church. And they're like, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And I go, what? What? Some kid I don't even know just stood up on the bus and told everyone to come to youth group on Friday because it's going to be awesome. We're doing this event called Street Wars. It was the absolute worst youth event I ever led, by the way. <laughs> like, I was so embarrassed it went so bad. But these kids loved it. And they started coming out, and this youth group formed, and, and then, then they brought me on full-time. Then they brought me on as an associate pastor, and now I'm the lead pastor there. And, and Matt Nielsen and I often joke that the lead pastor has a youth leadership degree, and the guy with the pastoral theology degree is in charge of the youth group. <laughs> I sometimes will tell my congregation, if you have a pastoral problem, talk to the guy with the degree, right? Um, but it's been amazing. It's been an amazing time. And God has taken that dream and turned it into my calling, that dream of helping others accomplish their God-given dream. That is why I'm in ministry. And there's a few things I want to share with you guys today about ministry that I think is so important. And it doesn't matter whether it's pastoral ministry, whether it's lay ministry, that I have found that these, these few things are the key to successful ministry. The first thing is, if you're going to go into ministry, you don't serve a vision, you serve people. You see, God's going to give you vision. He's going to give you direction. He's going to give you focus, right? But if you take that vision and you begin to make it more important than serving and loving people, it will fail every single time. And not only will it fail, it will hurt the very people you are trying to lead. And as a pastor, that is one of the most grievous sins you can do, is to hurt your congregation. And so I've learned this, that, you know, we're in a process right now of what we're calling revitalization. Our church is up around 100 now, which you might think, Bounty, that, that was 35 people to 100. That's doing awesome. That's great. But, but we noticed that we weren't seeing salvations anymore. We weren't seeing baptisms. We weren't seeing new people to the faith. What we were seeing was a disgruntled Baptist or Alliance people coming right? Which happens in small communities. You begin to learn. There are people that show up at our church now because I've been there so long. I ask them when they arrive, how many months this time? I do. I say that right to them because they just rotate, right? And I just call it up. I'm like, you're welcome here. I, I want you to plug in, but you need to commit. But you have to, you have to see people 
coming to Christ. And so we're in this revitalization and, and, you know, we've been seeking a vision. And the thing I say to my board over and over is, how does this love people? How does this serve our congregation, but also our community? And to love like that takes incredible sacrifice. One of my life verses has become Mark chapter 8, verse 34 on. And here it says, if anyone can come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever, will be, whoever would be saved, his, um, will save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is what it's about in ministry. But in order to love people, in order to care for people, and in order to serve people, you have to earn their trust. See, there used to be a day and age that a lot of our seniors came out of, our our 80 pluses, where the churches and pastors were just trusted. That's not true anymore. In fact, we probably rank amongst the lowest trusted organizations in our society now. And you know what? It's the church's fault. We can blame the media. We can blame others. But honestly, it was our bad conduct and our bad behavior in the past that has brought us to that point. You know, we got to own it if we want to see it change. I'm I'm not trying to knock the church. I love the church. And yes, we do get a bad rap at times, but it's because so often we failed to be Christ-like and failed to keep the trust that we're supposed to have. Your your only currency in ministry, whether it's pastoral or lay ministry, is trust. And the only way you earn trust is through integrity. Because there are going to be times in ministry where people are going to come and they're going to plant the knife in your back so deep you see it come out the front. I've had people walk into my office that when they left, I hit my knees crying. And then their friends come in afterwards. And they've heard a story. And they begin to share that story and they're mad at you. Do you realize my friend's mad? My friend's leaving the church. You're barely up off your knees from bawling from that visit and you're already getting this other attack. And and what I've learned is the only answer you can give them is, you know me. Judge my life, judge my character, judge my integrity. Does this story you're hearing line up with the Monty that you know That's the only thing you truly have. And in that moment, every single time, people have stopped when I asked them that question. They go, no, actually, Pastor, it doesn't. I said, well, then watch me and see if what they're accusing me of bears fruit or not. But judge me according to my integrity. That's how you earn trust. Because when you have integrity, Not only does your congregation, but your community begins to look at you and say, I can trust you. You are who you say you are. You represent what you say you represent. You live out what you say. And in ministry and in life, that is your one ace up your sleeve every single time. You can run the best program in the world. You could have helped out all these different people. But if you don't have integrity, you will fall you will be taken down, whether it's legit or not, because people won't trust you. Trust and integrity is also what's going to really, really impact your community. 
I'm at the point in my community now where more, far more people know me than I know them. And I'm well aware that every step I take in my community, I am being watched and they know that I'm Pastor Monty. They know who I represent. They know I represent Christ. And at times that could almost feel like an overwhelming weight of representation until I realized something. That one of the best ways to walk in integrity is to walk in repentance. Because repentance communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ better than any other way of preaching in our society in this day and age. I'll tell you that right now. Because repentance says to people, you're not perfect. And it's okay not to be perfect. It says when you repent that not only are you not perfect, but there is a God out there who loves you and will restore you. Because when repentance is lived out properly, that's what happens is restoration. And so I've learned that I can't be perfect. I can't be Jesus. I am going to be just like those friends I had when I first had that realization of Christ. Someone's going to look at me and see a flaw in me and say, Jesus isn't real. But if I am repentant and I am acknowledging his work in my life transforming me, then people will look at that and they'll say, wait a minute, you're not perfect, but you follow one who is. And it preaches the gospel to them in a powerful, powerful way. In my leading, in my, in my following the leading of God, he's led me to a lot of different things. Some things that are my strength, some things that aren't my strength. Um, I coached rugby in our high schools for a while. I, I, I love rugby, played it for a good time. I was telling Gavin and Kim earlier, then God called me into coaching soccer. And I ran into one of the students that I taught soccer to, well, sort of, years later. And he, like, walked up to me. and He goes, hey, Coach John. Well, that was the guy who was helping me. I said, no, I'm Coach Monty. Coach John is the one that knew what he was doing. This, this teenage kid's like, yeah, that was evident, right? Like, the deal was John taught soccer. I handled parents, right? But it was because that morning I'd been praying, God, I need to get back into the community. And then who meets me at the door? Someone in our church who's the president of the Youth Soccer Association going, Monty, we're desperate for coaches. And God goes, hello. I know. Right? The latest one is he's called me into, because I was praying and I was asking God, I said, God, what is a sub-community in Cornell that's not being reached? And um, he sent me to my people, the geeks. So um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and stuff like that. And I love board games and things. And and so now I'm playing tabletop games at our game store. And yeah, I paint the little figurines and everything like that. It's really nerdy. I thought I would hate it. I actually find it very relaxing. Um, the way I'm wired is I get frustrated if I don't see progress. So after a counseling session, painting a little model and going, that's blue now feels really good, right? Because <laughs> you don't always get to say that after a counseling session that that person has progressed, very rarely. But anyways, I'm in this community now and... It's that very message of repentance that's impacting that community. That community is full of people who are from the LGBTQ plus, I'm not even sure how big it is anymore, community. And the pastor appears in their midst. And it was like alarm bells going off. And it was cold around me. Some of them welcomed me. But then COVID hit. And while there's so much I hate about COVID, being single was a blessing during COVID because restrictions said I was allowed friends because I was single. So I could have people into my home. 
And so all of a sudden, I became the only place in our community where people could play these games because it takes a few people and restrictions said you couldn't meet in the store. So I took my basement and I converted an entire room and built this great big gaming table down there and everything that lights up and everything and, and said, come on over, guys, let's play. We followed the rules through it all. And while we were there, we started talking. And they would bring things up that I would end up repenting for on behalf of the church, so to speak. Or sometimes, because I wasn't perfect, they'd bring up things they'd seen me in the community, like when that old lady cut me off and I shook my fist in anger. They'd bring up, I would repent. And one of them one day said, Monty, you're always repenting and never asking me to repent. And I said, well, I follow Jesus and, and you don't. And that means I live according to an ethic. I, I live according to the kingdom of God. I, I live according to a certain way that the Bible speaks to. And it would be wrong for me to hold you account to that. I'm not your judge. God is. But when you bring these things up, the Bible says I need to repent. And so I'm repenting. And I am earning the right to share the gospel with people, to share Jesus Christ with them in a way that I never dreamt possible. I was talking to a friend the other day and he asked me, he goes, why do you keep hanging out with us? And I said to him, you know, because I have found this to be one of the most generous communities I've ever been part of in Cornell. And he goes, it was never that way until you showed up. I had no idea. I just always assumed it was that way. But you see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in Matthew that I want to leave you guys with here today. And um, it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, what Jesus is meaning by the salt of the earth here debated. You, you can open up as many commentaries as you want and, and probably get a slightly different description each time about what Jesus is referring to as salt of the earth, whether it's about flavor, preserving, or whatever. But there's one example that I read that has just impacted my life and my ministry so much. And it was that back in Jesus's time, one of the things you would do when you would salt the earth is it was actually going to a latrine, an outhouse, and you would remove the building. And because there's all that human excrement in it, amongst other things that they would throw in there, it was kind of like their garbage dump, it was toxic. And so they would pack it with salt on the top. And the reason being is the salt would filter down and purify it and kill off all the toxins and the bacteria and stuff that's in there. And this one commentator is saying that, you know, being called to be the salt of the earth, as Christians, we are called to rub up against the ugliness of the world around us. We're, we're called to, to rub up to what we may even consider the human excrement of society, the most disgusting that's there. And through our very presence, we begin to bring change as the Holy Spirit works through us. And as that salt trickles down, the water and the rain and everything would come and the salt would continue down. And that when we stay in the word, we stay effective in that. When we stay in worship and we stay in connection with Christ, when we allow the Holy Spirit to move through us, we can continue to be effective salt of the earth. And you continue to have effective ministry. And, and you will see everything begin to transform around you. And as that happens, go deeper. 
into the excrement. This has been, this has become the focus of my ministry in Cornell. I'm not called to lead a mega church. I don't believe that. I'm called to lead Bethel. I'm not called to produce X number of Bible college students. Though I was telling Gavin, I really want some of my students to come here soon. Like I see a call in their life. I'm called just simply to lead my people into the excrement of our community, to rub shoulders with them, to live humble, repentant lives that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can see our community transformed. And you know what? I'm starting to see it happen. It is so exciting. This vision, this revitalization, I I see the time I'm going to end right here, but it, it started two years ago and then COVID hit. And I remember thinking at the time, well, this isn't going to work. The government's keeping us apart. God used it. Our community right now is so hungry for connection. So hungry for people with integrity. And one of the things I'm so proud of, of so many people in our church is throughout COVID, I preached over and over, we need to stay focused on Jesus. We need to stay focused on integrity. We need to be, stay focused on the gospel. Ignore everything else. I had people leave my church because I preached Jesus too much. I said, there's the door. I'll see you later. They did. They wrote me notes saying, you're preaching Jesus too much. Not enough about what's going on in the world. Bye. But we have come out of it that we're in a place now where our community is actually asking for us. And you know what? Our attendance on Sunday mornings is not growing. And I'm okay with that because our vision is to go and create Christ-centered community in Cornell. And what's happening is all these different community organizations are beginning to have people in their midst who are transforming their group and their social circles with the power of the gospel. In fact, the Baptist church is growing more from it than we are right now, but that's okay. Same kingdom, right? And so I leave you with that today. Trust, integrity, and go be the salt of the earth and see the world around you transformed. Thank you. Monty, it's cool that even your dream to be an encouragement to the dreams of others and their calling has, this has been, that's taken place even today. And so thank you so much for coming. I would love to invite everybody to stand and we're going to pray and Gav, could you come up too? Um, We're going to pray over Monty, pray a blessing over him. And, um, And then at the end, we're all going to pray scripture over you. And it actually will be right up there. That will be what we'll pray. Sound good? Does that make sense? All right. Could you extend your hand to, to Monty and we'll pray? Well, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to give you all of the glory um, by just seeing your hand at work in Monty's life. 
thank you that your story in his life does begin at his birth. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in his life as he was growing up and to be a teen and to come to know you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much that you have brought people into Monty's life that have seen such incredible potential, who have put him in places of ministry, who have um, called him up. And Lord, I thank you that you have empowered him by your spirit to step into places that, um, that he wasn't anticipating. Jesus, I thank you that you have given him a calling that is unique, one that is of faithfulness, a calling that sees people, a calling that has a heart like your heart for people. Lord, I thank you for his faithfulness in the days that have been difficult. I thank you that you have been his sustaining strength. God, I thank you that his desire is still to continue to be a presence of Jesus in his community, to be somebody that even though so many people know him, to still be in places where he doesn't know them. Lord, I thank you for this new community of gamers. Lord, I thank you so much for this community and the influence that he's had in these people's lives. Lord, I pray that they would come to know you through uh, just their friendship and, and hearing Monty's heart. Lord, I thank you for Bethel. I thank you for this church that is committed to following Jesus, committed to being a light in their city that isn't just dependent upon numbers, but is dependent on seeing the power of God at work in their community. And Lord, I thank you that that is beyond Bethel, that that does include the Baptists. And Lord, I thank you for that. Your vision and your kingdom is big. And so we thank you for Monty, who sees that about you, that your kingdom is big. And so now, as we pray this prayer over Monty, let's all pray it together, if we could get that up there. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that is the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may know in patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. Bless you.